Hey everybody, all you gig tubers out there, welcome to another episode of the Gig Two Podcast. And on this episode, we're talking to a, the original gig tuber, <laughs> Harry Campbell, the rideshare guy. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? And how are how are all uh, the viewers out there right now? Yeah, all two of them. I don't know. <laughs> I have a well, then, that tells me how many people are watching, but it's not working right now. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Well, well, I've got the stream pulled up over here on my side. I already see uh, five people watching. I see Hannibal is hungry uh, in the chat right now, and I'm sure a few others. And, you know, the nice thing about YouTube is that, you know, people can view it after. So even if we only get a handful now, they can check it out later. I got it on my I got on my phone here. I got on my Chad's Beer Reviews account. So I turned the sound off. Anyway, so you wrote this book. That'd be cool if we do some kind of green screen effect where like you reach through the screen and like sign it or something. That'd be Yeah. Um Yeah, so I I don't know. Let's start with um you know, I, I was reading this book and you said that you were originally an engineer for Boeing and then you yes, got into sir. rideshare driving somehow. Can you tell that story? Yeah. Yeah. So it is funny. Uh, you know, I, I started driving for Uber and Lyft about seven years ago, which is a long time and ride share and gig economy years. Most people don't make it that long, but uh, I've persevered. And, you know, I kind of started driving. I was working full time as an aerospace engineer for Boeing. So I started driving for Uber and Lyft on the side, started doing DoorDash, a lot of the delivery apps over the years. I've also charged scooters for birds. I pretty much tried every single app out there. Um, and and uh, pretty quickly realized that, you know, it's not rocket science, but it is tougher than it looks. And so I started blogging about my experience as a driver, you know, how to make more money, what each service was like. Um, and then uh, over the years, you know, sort of launched the blog, the YouTube channel, and really kind of just believe at a high level, you know, like I, I guess for me, I'm a little different because I don't like to make judgments on, you know, whether the gig economy is a good a job or a bad job for an individual person. Obviously, there are positives and negatives to it, but I do kind of strongly feel like if someone does want to work in the gig economy, I'm going to kind of try and help them make as much money as possible, do as good of a job as they can. And it's not to say that, you know, of course, with every job, there are some positives and negatives, but that's sort of just the philosophy that I've kind of taken from day one. Yeah. I, when I was reading this and you said that you went from engineering to rideshare, I was like, that seems like it would be like a huge pay cut. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, was it? Because I, because like I, you know, in case you don't know my story, I worked in IT for 10 years. And, yeah. And um, I used to work uh, for IT for Publix here in uh, Florida. Publix is the big supermarket chain mm-hmm. in the Southeast. And I worked in the corporate IT office and I was making, you know, fine, decent money. And I started doing Uber on the weekends, like yeah. out of boredom mostly. Is that is that why you started doing rideshare or did you yeah. like, really need extra cash or? Yeah, that's pretty much for me, I would say. I mean, I'm always looking to make extra money just in period period in my life, in my business. And so that was kind of the the main reason. I think that's really why everyone gets, you know, they're, they're, everyone talks about the flexibility or this or that. But I mean, I don't think any of us would be doing it if we weren't getting paid. So I do think money um, is first and foremost for why a lot of people get in the gig economy. And so for me, I did drive for Uber and Lyft and deliver for DoorDash on the side when I first, while I was actually working full-time. So I've never driven full-time in the gig economy 
economy. Uh, I really respect anyone who does work full-time in the gig economy because, man, it's a tough job if you're doing it 40, 50 hours a week. Um, so yeah, definitely. I've always kind of treated it more as a part-time. And these days, I sort of spend most of my time you know, working on the business, the blog, the YouTube channel, and everything that involves. Yeah. Um I was gonna. I was gonna ask that. You're kind of like ten questions ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, I kind of like to go back to like to the early days. So, like, what what year did you start doing uh, Uber? I signed up with Uber in the parking lot of uh, Boeing in Seal Beach in 2014. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, no, I did Lyft first, and then they were offering. It was like when these Uber recruiters would pay you $500 for doing one trip. So I signed up with Uber in the parking lot of Boeing and got $500 after I did my first trip. Uh, so it was 2014. That was in uh, California. Yeah, California. Are you? Are you? You're born and raised California. Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles and I currently live in LA. When I first started driving for Uber and Lyft, I was living in Newport Beach, which is a pretty good area to drive and uh, dash and work. And then I moved to Long Beach and then now I'm back in LA, kind of in the middle of the city, right off of Fairfax uh, Boulevard off the 10 freeway. Cool. I've never been to Los Angeles. I've been to California, but I don't, I've never been to LA. So I don't know the, the, terrain or whatever exactly yeah a lot of people big place you know one of the cool things actually that i discovered you know like i grew up in la i started driving you know i primarily have always done uber and lyft i've messed around with some of the other apps but primarily done uber and lyft in the past and what's cool about driving in la is it like you end up in some parts of the city that like you never knew that you never knew existed some parts are pretty shady not gonna (laughs) lie so that is kind of a negative but you also just discover a lot of cool places cool restaurants cool things and you know again like kind of when you're taking advantage of it a part-time capacity, you know, you might actually be able to stop at some of these places. I remember my first dash in uh, Orange County, I got an order for Raising Cane's Chicken, which is like this kind of semi-famous uh, fried chicken uh, chain. And I was like, dude, I've been wanting to try this place forever. You know, I waited in line, got the customer's food, ordered myself a few tenders and, you know, was on my way. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I do DoorDash and yeah, it's, there's this pizza place like literally around the corner from where I live. And when I first started doing DoorDash, I noticed I kept getting orders from there and it's in this yeah. lousy, you know, uh, shop strip mall shopping plaza. That's, I mean, it's not a terrible part of town, but it's just like the plaza itself is like, it yeah. looks like it's like, was designed in the seventies and hasn't been <laughs> updated since. And, uh, so I tried their pizza. I was like, Oh wow, this is really good. So I order it probably at least once a month, if not more. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, uh, do you still drive the same car as when you first started doing Uber or? Um, I've had a bunch of cars over the years, actually. I think the first one that I started with was an older 2004 Lexus RX 330. So it was sort of an older but nicer car. And that was kind of my go-to car for a while. And then uh, I actually got a Tesla. So I got a Model 3. So I drove that on Uber and Lyft for a little while. And then when we had um, my second uh, kid, so now we need a little bigger car. So I got the uh, Model Y. So I'm a big uh, EV and Tesla fan now. Um, but yeah, I love the the Model Y, especially. It's but maybe not the the cheapest car for Uber and Lyft, but it definitely uh, causes a stir. And there's actually there was like a rideshare company in New York, Revel, that just launched uh, with a fleet of Model Ys. So I think we're going to see a lot more of them on the road soon nice. with ridehail companies. I've never there's Teslas all over the place here, but I've never driven or ridden in one. So uh, yeah, I mean, so you're in LA. Super fun to drive. Yeah, you're in LA, Hollywood. <laughs> 
Have you given any celebrities rides or seen them? Around um, town? I definitely, I don't think I've ever seen them or, or sorry, I've seen them around town a bunch, but definitely never given any celebrities or anything like that a ride. Um, I, I'm guessing that they probably like order, like my car did qualify for Uber select. So I do some Uber select rides here and there in the past, but I, you know, I'm guessing that they probably were a little more like the Uber black Uber Lux yeah. uh, type situations. I do play, I, I did play golf um, up at this place in LA called mountain gate. And I do see like some celebrities there from time to time, like James Worthy, the basketball player, was playing there. And just like driving around town, I always joke one of the funniest uh, celebrity spottings was in eighth grade. I saw Elijah Wood, you know, like that little kid from Lord of the Rings. He was uh, getting a burrito at Baja Fresh in Santa Monica and Wilshire. So (laughs) I know (laughs) lots of celebrity sightings, actually. There aren't too many celebrities in Orlando unless they're visiting or whatever. But yeah, pretty sure that I did an Instacart delivery for one of the Orlando city soccer players because mm. um, I don't know if you've seen any of my videos, I tend to wear Orlando city soccer shirt or Jersey uh, quite yeah. often. And it's, you know, there's a lot of really nice uh, areas in Orlando. And I remember just yeah. going one and like the dude answered the door and like, he just looked like an athlete. <laughs> and yeah. like, it's funny. Cause like, even though like I rep, the soccer team, I'm not like a super hardcore fan. I don't have a season season tickets or anything. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, aside from like the big, big name players, like I couldn't really, you know, tell you like the, the names. So like this guy answered the door. He's like, oh, you're a big Orlando City fan, huh? And like he was just kind of like implying like that. I, I just kind of like got this sense that like he was a player because like he was just looked athletic. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I love Orlando City. He's like, who's your favorite player? And I'm like, oh, I don't. I don't have one. I just like the whole thing, you know, like I I'm kind of feel like if once you're, I feel like having a favorite player is like more for like kids, you know, like yeah. when, when you're an adult, it's just like, you're more a fan of the team. Um, by the way, so yeah. So you're in LA. Are you a sports fan? Yeah, I grew up big uh, Lakers fan, Clippers fan. Clippers are in the playoffs right now. Down 0-2. Kings fan. Uh, pretty much, pretty much everything. No, no football. When I was growing up, there was no football teams, but uh, UCLA, USC. So yeah, I'd imagine that like when those games let out, they probably have pretty good surges going on for Uber and Lyft. Oh yeah, yeah. No, definitely the big events. I think have always been. I mean, you know, in every city has their sports teams or big events, and yeah. So there's definitely some big surges. I mean, that's kind of actually when I first started driving. Like I was really trying to maximize like the Friday, Saturday nights, the holidays, the big events, stuff like that. So doing a lot of. Uh, just more like really like refining my strategies like for a while i mean and even even now i mean i think that the some of the veteran drivers kind of you know they try to time the peak surge right for yeah. example right and kind of like hey maybe not right at the start but you know sort of see like right at the very peak you know wait 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 and then go for a ride yeah i haven't i haven't given a ride in probably over a year just not because of covid but because I discovered Instacart and DoorDash and mm-hmm. I was making way more money doing delivery. And uh, Yeah, I think a lot of people actually <laughs> discovered yeah. they could make more money uh, doing delivery, especially during the pandemic. But yeah. I, I think that uh, I think in general, you can you will be able to make more uh, driving for Uber and Lyft than you went than you can with food and grocery delivery. I know right now is still a little bit um, you know out of whack because of the pandemic. But I think that in three or four months here, I think it's going to kind of go back to what it was before. Uh, on average yeah i see uber they like doing the 250 million dollar 
uh, stimulus or whatever. And yeah, uh, like a month or two ago, I did this in one of my videos. I showed like they, I only had to do like, I think I remember it was five or 10 deliveries for like a mm-hmm. big bonus. And I did it and I yeah. just did deliveries. I haven't, if they would offer me bonuses to do rideshare, then I would do it. But it's just, they have just like the weekly quests, which I'm not really yeah. interested in. So anyway, um, so like when you started doing Uber and Lyft and, so you started doing rideshare and delivery more or less the same time. I just, I just like to get the timeline. Clear. Yeah. Yeah. So back in 2014, I started doing pretty much primarily Uber and Lyft, to be honest. And, you know, but I tried out like DoorDash, tried out Postmates, tried out, you know, basically all the delivery services. But I feel like for me personally, since I was doing it part time, you know, I only had 10, 15 hours a week anyways. Right. So like I didn't need to you know, switch over to delivery or do multiple. It was kind of like I got plenty of my fill doing Uber and Lyft. So that's sort of always what I focused on. And then, you know, with my site and my business, you know, we primarily, I would say, like we really cover what's going on with Uber and Lyft. We've got plenty of content on DoorDash and yeah. Postmates and Uber Eats. But, you know, we don't cover like the daily developments. Like, you know, I think some of the DoorDash uh, YouTubers like yourself or, you know, even some of the folks watching in the chat right now, I saw Pedro, uh, DoorDash, Hannibal is hungry. Like, I think. Uh, um, it's been cool. You know, I keep an eye on a lot of these uh, YouTubers. It's been cool to see a lot of, you know, really, I think in the past year, year and a half, I think a, a big YouTuber community has emerged covering the DoorDash scene. I actually, I just chatted on the phone earlier with Tanner Markley. So, you know, a lot of these guys, I think, are doing pretty cool, uh, like day-to-day type coverage of what's happening uh, with DoorDash. Yeah. Um <clears throat> What I was going to ask is, I mean, YouTube's been around for what, like 15, 16 years now, but <laughs> and then like I actually yeah. started, I think this channel, I think if, if you go to the about, it says like 2006 is when I started this channel and uh, yeah. it had nothing to do with what, I, what I'm doing right now. But hmm. um, I remember back like the, when I say early days of YouTube, I think like 2009 to like 2012 Yeah, know, before, like, you remember the, like when basically it was... The, the early days is when you everybody was limited to ten minutes or less. Like you couldn't uh, ten yeah. minutes unless you were a partner, and like uh, partners were like Ray, Ray William Johnson and uh, Fred mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Annoying Orange or something like that. <laughs> Um, well, I, I did. Uh, I did look up your channel while you were talking. It looks like you had your first, at least, Uber video four years ago. Caught on dash cam, a very sexy, scandalous Uber yeah, ride. Do you remember that one? That's my most popular video. It's getting close to hundred thousand views. Last time I checked. Nice. Um, but yeah, but I, I've done a lot of different stuff on this channel. And like, well, I started out as doing beer reviews, and then I switched it. I have a whole other channel, just Chad's beer reviews, which I. That's a long story about that. I I do it <laughs> once in a while, but um, yeah. Anyway, so like I actually kind of did with beer, kind of like what you do with rideshare. Like I had chadsbeerreviews.com and I was mm-hmm. doing beer reviews like every day. So like, what cool. was what was the impetus to? What, I don't know which came first, the blog or YouTube, or did they come at the same time? And like, yeah, how did it so- take off? Yeah, so I started the blog in 2014. Pretty honestly, like not. As soon as I started driving for Lyft and Uber, but pretty, you know, probably within a few weeks or a month of giving my first Lyft ride. And then I started the YouTube channel, I want to say about six to 12 months later. So I know I did my first post in 2014 on the blog and I just pulled up my YouTube channel. It says that my first video <laughs> was a review of your mechanic and $20 off your first oil change. So my first video was an affiliate, basically, video, which probably shouldn't have done, um, but six years ago. So it was like, 
you know, 20, I guess 2015. Right. So, um, I really, you know, I actually have been had been dabbling in the online space for a few years before. I started a few personal finance blogs. Um, I was doing freelance travel writing. I was like trying to launch niche sites. So just kind of like learning, exploring, um, you know, just sort of like dabbling, I guess you would say. And this was all in addition to my day job as an engineer. And so when I sort of discovered Uber and Lyft and driving for them, I was kind of more interested, you know, for the driving piece and how much you could make. But then and combining that with like how I had been dabbling in the online space, I was like a light bulb kind of went off in my head. Like, oh, you know, I've been trying to find a topic to blog about, and here's this Uber and Lyft thing. I'm driving for them. Why don't I drive or blog about what it's like to be a driver? And so started the blog, started the podcast and the YouTube channel, you know, successively. Yeah, and there was well, I was gonna say there was nobody doing it back then, but actually there there was, but it was like every Uber driver was like trying to do YouTube or a blog, but you know, yeah. people fizzled out after probably six months or a year. <laughs> yeah. And you've kept at it. So like, what, what do you contribute to like the success of your channel and like the persistence of still doing it? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually think that uh, adjective is important. Persistence. I mean, I think when you're creating uh, content online, that's the big thing. That would be like my number one recommendation is to like, think about consistency, think about persistence. Like it's tough to make one video a day for a year, but it's really freaking tough to do it for 10 years. Right. So like, think about like, how can you get it into that sort of longer term mindset? Like what's a schedule that works for you long-term? Because I think that is a challenge working online is that there is, you know, a cliff, right? You do it for a year, you might not make a bunch of money. Um, and then, but you know, over time things start to compound opportunities start to compound, um, financial, uh, affiliates, you know, advertising, stuff like that starts to compound. And so I do think that like persistence and consistency is important. Um, and I think for me personally, like I kind of went into it with the, Hey, I've got a full-time income, um, you know, working as an engineer. So, you know, my driving for Uber and Lyft is side money, what I'm doing on uh, YouTube or on the blog, I don't need this to survive. So I could sort of, you know, like monetization was less of a focus and it's hard to work for, you know, it's hard to build a YouTube channel for a year, for example, and not want to make any money. But really, frankly, like that's kind of like the mindset you need to be in because, you know, there's, you know, the guys that have hundreds of thousands or millions of subscribers at that point, right? There's so much, uh, there's so much bigger opportunities. Um, yet it's like, it's the same amount of work to negotiate like a $500 ad deal as it is like a $5,000 ad deal. That's sort of how really? I'd sum it up. Yeah. You, <laughs> 100%. Is your growth purely organic or have you ever like taken ads out um um never done like real big ad campaigns i mean now we kind of dabble in like some ad campaigns and doing stuff like that or with advertisers you know we run like little ad campaigns but in basically the first five or six years i don't think we ran a single um online ad of any capacity but um really what it was is i would say the like consistent content strategy you know literally i published four articles a week on my blog monday wednesday friday saturday mm -hmm. um for basically since the 
beginning. And now we do, you know, basically a daily article, but you know, we were literally publishing at least four articles a week for seven years. So that's that consistency is one thing. And then on YouTube, we were doing a lot of the same, but really also we started doing, I started doing a lot of outreach to other bloggers, YouTubers, media. We've been quoted in the media and featured a number of times. So that's helped fueled a lot of that growth too. Yeah. That's what I was about to ask. So I was looking on your website and like you have a whole page of just times that you've been on the news or in newspapers and things like that. And like, it's a huge... (laughs) It's a huge list. Yeah. And we kind of, I actually kind of gave up on updating that like a year or two ago, but uh, if I had to guess, yeah, it's probably like we've been quoted, featured, linked, whatever you want to call it, probably like over three to 4,000 times. So do you you remember the first time like somebody in the news or whatever, like contacted you? Like what was, what was your reaction? Um, you know, I actually don't remember the first time, but we did have a pretty act. We had a pretty active strategy of outreaching to the media. And I think that's the other thing that when you're creating content, a lot of people focus most of their time on creating content and content is king. It is most important, but you also have to market it. You also have to get out there. You know, I think you have to collaborate with other YouTubers, collaborate with other people. Um, you really have to like basically market your content, right? That's like half the battle to me. And so with respect to the media, what we started doing very early on, on the blog, um, is basically a Saturday roundup of the top Uber and Lyft stories in the media. And so we would feature five to seven stories, Forbes, New York Times, Wired, whatever. And then we would share those articles on Twitter and say, Hey, at Chad, you know, we, we featured your article, you know, this week on the rideshare guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's a link to the the roundup, right? And then at the end of each month, I would email all of those reporters that we featured, say hi, introduce myself, offer. I think at the time I was sort of offering to like connect them with drivers or, you know, try to offer something that would be valuable to them, not just like, hey, quote me, link me. You know what I mean? Like that they get that all the time. So I was trying to think of ways we could provide actual value. And so, I mean, that like roundup strategy, if you go to the rideshareguy.com, we still do that every single week. We still tweet out to every single reporter we feature. And, you know, we've done that seven years time. 52 um, wow. <laughs> whatever that is 350 times yeah. i'm on your uh your email uh newsletter so it's like basically mm-hmm. whenever you post something in the blog you just kind yeah. of email it out which send it out yeah um which i think is is better because like remember like the real old days of like rss feeds and mm-hmm. like you'd actually see that in like your outlook um you know yeah rss feed but it's I, I feel like everybody just wants like one-stop shops now. Everybody just wants like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And um, it's for me, yeah. like if, instead of going to like a website, it's just so much easier to just sign up for an email newsletter. Like I also get um, howtogeek.com. So it's like mm-hmm. every day they send you like tips about, you know, a little computer and yeah. consumer electronics stuff. And uh, you know, like I said, I was in IT for years and I still, mm-hmm. I'm on Professor Messer's email list. He's a, he teaches you yeah. like how to study for IT certifications and he just sends you it basically just sends you like a a quiz yeah. like every day that would be on the certification test. And I'm not even in IT anymore, but I still get yeah. the emails. 
Oh. Yeah. Well, I think what the what's sort of new in the past five years is sort of the rise of the influencer, right? The people with a million plus followers on Instagram, because at that point, you know, when you've got a million followers on Instagram, you can literally, you know, do a sponsored post, you know, do an yeah. affiliate type deal. And you have so many people following you, even if it only reaches 10, 15, 20%, it's still a hundred to 200,000 people. Um, you know, and you can still make a lot of money that way, but like online marketing 101, one is you always want to own your own distribution. You want to own your email list. You never want your primary connection to your users, to your fans, to be through another platform. And email, you know, nothing's perfect, but email is a lot more direct than, um, you know, Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, whatever it might be. So when I send out an email, you know, if I'm shooting for a 20 to 30% open rate, you know, that's uh, uh, not pr- pretty good, right? And I own that. I can transfer that email list, um, you know, with YouTubers. I think some of the the top uh, folks I've seen that are really know what they're doing, you know, they build text lists, right? So it's like they get everyone's phone number and get them to opt in. And then whenever they drop a new video, they can text them in addition to, you know, the notification they might get from YouTube. So that would be like kind of an example of that principle applied there. Yeah, I I follow a lot of um, people who are in similar situations as you is like, where they, they're basically like professional online coaches or uh, like, do you... You have like you should have like a course on Skillshare or Linda or one of those sites. Yeah. Um, do you? Um, I don't, but I mean to be honest, like I've gone on a bunch of big online marketing podcasts and talked about, you know, like so if people are interested in, you know, like how we've grown um, you know, like media, for example, like how, how we work with the media. I did a whole podcast on that with a guy named Noah Kagan. He runs a cool podcast called OK Dork. That's a pretty big podcast. So I talked all about like the specific strategies we use there and how you might apply it to your own business. I went on one of my favorite, uh, like really the guy who I kind of looked up to when I was growing my business. His name is Pat Flynn. He runs a big blog called Smart Passive Income. I went on his podcast and talked a lot about the specific strategies that I use to grow my audience at the beginning. So the roundup that I talked about, you know, like going into actual Facebook groups, like finding people that were having issues, commenting, sending them message, like a lot of that right. type of stuff, which, uh, you know, maybe some of that isn't doesn't work as well today because there's a lot more like spammers and stuff like that, but the Mm -hmm. principles are all uh, the same. Yeah. Um, I've got your, your book here and I don't know if you know, but I also wrote a book. It's not about this at all. It's a, it's a beer book. And I remember when I was holding it in my hand, I was like, wow, like being a published author now, it's like, it's like, I feel like a big deal. And it's, uh, when, when you wrote this, um, well, I, so how long did it take you to write it? Did you, or was it just kind of like, yeah. for, like for me, it was like all beer reviews that I had already written and then the publisher just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of compile them. And I wrote a few original stuff for the book. And so was this all original material for the book or did you just kind of like take stuff that you had yeah. already written on the blog? Yeah. So it was all original writing, I guess you would say. But um, it's funny when I when I first signed on to do the book, I thought that I would basically be able to copy and paste a bunch of my blog posts and then make a book out of that. And it turned out that was like the exact opposite. But it wasn't the most challenging writing project because I already had everything in my head. It was more about, you know, I really spent a lot of time like structuring it. Like if you read the book, you see it's like really like an A to Z walkthrough. It's like, hey, you're thinking about driving. 
who do you pick? What should you consider? Like, there's like a million things you need to do. Here's the number one thing. You got to go get a phone mount, right? Then you got to consider a dash cam. Then you got to consider rideshare insurance. Then you got to start tracking your miles, right? There's all these different things, but like realistically, what should you do step by step? Mm-hmm. And so I actually just sat down like every Wednesday. I remember I went to this coffee shop here in LA, um, just a Starbucks. And I wrote for like two to three hours straight, just nonstop, tried to write at least, uh, I think my goal was like 5,000, maybe it was like two or 3,000 words was my goal every Wednesday. And I just kind of like did it every Wednesday for two or three months straight and had a book by the end. (laughs) Was it self-published or did a publisher come to you? Um, So a publisher came to me. It was published by a company called Skyhorse Publishing. And they, I think the editor, he was talking to an Uber driver at one point and, you know, told the driver uh, was a fan of my blog, told them all about me, blah, blah, blah. And he reached out with a book deal. Um, and, you know, I ended up uh, signing a deal with them. It was a $2,500 advance, I believe, was the amount. So not a crazy amount for the amount yeah. of work that goes into a book. And it's been tough. Like, I think the book has sold over 10,000 copies. But I literally have not even earned back my royalties. So I really like as when you go through a publisher, you don't get shit like they take over 90% of the sales. So it's been cool. It was cool to learn about it. And I didn't necessarily do it for the money, but uh, definitely hasn't been a lucrative project, I guess you would say. Yeah, I've thought about writing the equivalent of this for like Instacart. Like it's my my beer book is called Mm -hmm. The Handbook of Porters and Stouts. I thought about Mm -hmm. Uh, my next book would be the Instacart Shoppers Handbook. And I'd be like, wow, it's two books in a yeah. row with handbook in the title, which <laughs> was not the plan. But anyway, um, so what is your current day-to-day life like? Are you, I, like, I, I would imagine that the blog and the YouTube channel probably yeah. take up most of your time. Uh, are you actually still out there um, do, giving rides and doing yeah. deliveries? <laughs> So my full-time job is definitely running the blog, the YouTube channel, the business, you know, advertising, you know, working with advertisers, you know, podcast. Um, I do a weekly podcast on the gig economy. It's a little more like industry focused, but kind of with that worker twist. Um, so I am still technically like an active Uber and Lyft driver, but I really don't drive too much anymore these days. Like I went out Uber through a three for three ride for hundred dollar bonus at me recently. So I was like, all right, that's enough to get on, do some rides do some research, things like that. But, uh, you know, I will say, like I joked earlier, you know, I've been, I signed up for Uber and Lyft seven years ago. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a long, uh, journey, but, uh, definitely like these days I sort of find myself more, keep, keep myself uh, plenty occupied with the business side of things. Yeah. And uh, you have contributors for, well, obviously the blog and YouTube and uh, yeah, blog and YouTube. And so do you, so you have like final editorial control of everything like with the YouTube, do you actually edit the videos and make the thumbnails or did, or did the yeah. contributors do it? So it's sort of transitioned throughout the years. I mean, let's just say at the start, I basically wrote and recorded every single video, <laughs> you know? So at first it was me writing everything, almost everything, and then me recording everything. Then I started hiring contributors for both the blog and YouTube. And, you know, I would re- work with them on the idea and then, you know, sort of assign it to them, then review the final thing and uh, publish it. And now these days though, you know, I've actually got someone, Elijah, who does some videos on our YouTube channel. He also manages the YouTube channel. So I work with him a lot more on the ideas, what we're going to cover, the strategy, 
the topics, things like that. But then he works with the actual contributors on getting the videos done, reviewing them. So now, you know, I don't review every single video um, before it's published, which is good and bad. I sort of trust my team that they're going to do a good job and, you know, sort of hopefully make me look good. But, you know, there are times where we release something like we released an article recently on the blog that I didn't really, I, I think there are actually like a couple of errors in it. And I saw it, I was like, oh shit, got to take that down real quick, fix it. So, you know, it happens, but obviously if yeah. you use multiple contributors and, you know, that stuff is bound to happen. And it's also the, one of the ways where I think I've been able to make it for seven years. Like if I had to record two to three YouTube videos and do a couple blog posts or even just, you know, blog posts or YouTube every day, every week for seven years, I think that's pretty tough. Yeah. Now, did you go out and find like Jay and Tyler and well, I, I, I don't think Jay's with the site anymore. Jay Crater. No. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, no, I, I love Jay. I miss Jay. <laughs> did he retire from driving or? Uh, yeah, he actually, uh, sort of, he, he's, I mean, he's always been an entrepreneur too. So he's got a lot of his own online businesses and coaching. And so he's doing some coaching stuff and I think he was in Thailand and now is back here, but you know, he's got a lot, um, going on. So, I mean, he's had a lot of success on his own. I tried to keep him for as long as I could, but, uh, he's got plenty of opportunities. So it was amicable, amicable, uh, split, but, uh, yeah, definitely. He was one of our top contributors for sure. Do you ever um well, I don't I don't th- I don't think I worded this right. I said I wrote, do you ever regret calling yourself the rideshare guy because now the gig economy is a lot more than just rideshare? Like do you kind of wish you had called yourself the gig economy guy or the gig economy <laughs> Well, like I think the, you know, when I first started, I looked at, you know, like names around Uber and I thought that might be a little too specific. So I thought the rideshare guy would kind of encompass Uber, Lyft, any other companies that came along. And I think that that has worked out really well. Like I didn't put a ton of thought. I just wrote like 25 names down on a Google doc and mm-hmm. the rideshare guy sounded the best. I'm like, this is not much thought <laughs> picked yeah. it and stuck with it over the years. And it has really, I will say like it, the name has worked out really well because people all, you know, if they see me at a, I was just at this conference in Miami and people are like, Oh, you know, the rideshare guy, like no one's spotting me on the street or anything. But you know, when I go to like a rideshare conference, people are like, Oh, the rideshare guy basically. Right. And so yeah. that's worked out really well. Um, but I will say, you know, like obviously DoorDash is huge. Now there's over 2 million dashers, you know, close to the number of Uber drivers. But I think what I've found, it's actually really tough to be kind of known for all these different huge verticals, right? Like I know Uber and Lyft really well. Like I cover these companies for the past seven years. I know a lot about DoorDash, but I bet there's a bunch of YouTubers in here, you know, maybe even yourself included that know more than me about DoorDash. I'm not trying to be like the number one expert in DoorDash, Instacart, all of these other services. I kind of want to be known as the number one guy in Uber and Lyft, but there's some interaction obviously between Uber and Lyft drivers and food delivery, right? There's a lot of similarities, a lot of things you can apply, you know, a lot of things you can learn. So that's sort of, I think, kind of the, where I'm at right now. I think you did an episode on your podcast, um, like, well, right. I can't remember if it was, no, it's delivery companies, but we might as well ask the same question. Like the, for people who didn't see it or hear it, it's the podcast was, will delivery companies ever be profitable? Mm -hmm. It was basically, it was like a, a seminar at a, at a conference or something like that. Oh yeah. Convention. Um, for, can you give the viewer listener, um, the brief rundown on that? Cause like, that's a good question is like everybody, yeah. 
sees like these tech companies are like making a lot of money, but at the same time they're losing yeah. a lot of money and yeah, they're not. Amazon. Well, it's like, I know Amazon up for a while was deliberately yeah. not profitable, which is really complicated, but I guess they are profitable now. And yeah. I know Instacart like just turned a profit last year, but I think Uber is like, still <laughs> yeah. hemorrhaging money or at least not, maybe not as bad as they used to. So, yeah, I guess what I would say is that the like financials of all these companies is super complicated and I'm probably not the best person to explain it, but you can look at it on the one hand, right? Like all of the early employees and investors of all these companies have made a shit ton of money, mm-hmm. right? And uh, from the gig worker perspective, you know, I would say that actually like on Uber and Lyft and maybe even DoorDash and other platforms, income has kind of come down from the early days, right? Rates have gone down, pay has come down. And so I think that's kind of like typically what gig workers workers are balancing with the actual employees, early investors, because then that's sort of, you know, one kind of push and pull. And then you also have like the actual profitability of the company itself, right? Like Uber and Lyft have never technically reported a profit. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's sort of easy um, to point to them as, you know, like greedy in this respect or that. And, you know, even like food delivery companies like DoorDash has only ever one quarter, had posted one quarter of profitability. And that was kind of at the height of the pandemic. But then how you define profitability is also really confusing. The companies use one de- definition, like Uber, for example, you, they, they use something called adjusted EBITDA mm-hmm. and earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. Um, super nerdy fi- finance, <laughs> yeah, basically like, definition. Economics 101, like profit is, you know, revenue minus expenses, but it, like, right. it seems like it's a lot. And so I guess that. For gig workers, revenue, it's not super simple, but it is, you know, income minus expenses. And for the companies, it's not that. Let's just put it that way. How do you follow all the news of the gig economy? I just have like Google news alerts and... Um, so I get a lot of my news just checking Twitter. Like I enjoy going on Twitter, I follow a bunch of people, Uber, Lyft, Gig Economy. And then also I've got someone on my team that actually like kind of scours the Reddit boards and blogs and forums and things like that and just sends out an update to all of our contributors every single morning with kind of like the three or four mm-hmm. top stories. So that's sort of like, you know. Like I said, like we can't be first to see or know about everything, but um, you know that's kind of like one of the ways. And then I also talk to tons of you know workers, dashers, drivers, for and then for like really big news type stories, Uber and Lyft. Well, since they sort of know we're a company um, covering uh, or you know we're a media business covering Uber and Lyft, um, they'll sometimes give us a heads up when there's really big news, but that's very rare. Somebody keeps. Two people have said, Chad, your sound is too low. I think if you just get a little closer to the microphone, you should be... uh, As close as I can get here without... Yeah, there you go. Right there. Yeah. That's that's a little... I thought it might be on like the webcam mic. No, I think it's the right mic. I think you just got to get a a little closer, you know, when you turn your your head away at... uh... Um, Anyways, kind of wrapping up here. I still got a few more questions, but so... Sure. Keep it going. um, Yeah, like on... Both the YouTube channel and the podcast, you've interviewed some pretty big, big wigs. Like, I think you've interviewed Dara from uh, Uber. Yeah. And like the last week or two weeks ago, you interviewed the CEO of or the president of DoorDash. Very yeah. controversial video <laughs> there. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, my question would be when you get these big, like, do they come to you or do you ask them on? 
Is yeah. it just that simple of just like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? Yeah. So I'll say it's a mix. So I remember, so I've interviewed Dara twice, the CEO of Uber. The first time, literally their PR person who, you know, kind of like whenever we have questions about Uber or anything like that, sometimes we email them. Usually we don't, to be honest, because they're not that helpful. But (laughs) when we do sometimes have questions, we'll email Uber's PR person. He literally just called me one day and was like, hey, got a cool opportunity for you to interview Dara on stage. We're releasing a new, um, I think they're releasing a new driver app or something like that. So I interviewed him on stage there. And then the second time, I think they also reached out to me. Uh, so sometimes it's sort of that way. And then the other time with DoorDash, for example, we actually reached out to them. We, I, I, um, no shade to Christopher Payne, but we actually reached out to interview Tony Shu, the uh, CEO. And mm-hmm. he, I can't remember what they said, if he was busy or probably just didn't want to do it, but uh, they offered up uh, Chris. So I was appreciative of that, you know, president of DoorDash, also nothing to uh, slouch at. So yeah, I was excited to do that one. I never I don't understand like what's the difference between a president and the CEO. It seemed like the president would be higher, but um yeah. you know, that's a good point. So it's funny too cuz Chris was the COO of DoorDash and like right before we not right before but you know like a few weeks or so before we did the interview, he got promoted to uh, president of uh, DoorDash. So I don't I'm probably not the best person to ask what the difference is, but it's up there. <laughs> yeah, I I would have asked my question just out of like out of the Asking it as a noob, you know, but yeah. Um, so like speaking, speaking of that particular interview, sure. Um, you know, a lot of, I, there was a lot of, uh, upset commenters that <laughs> basically you weren't throwing him enough, you know, hardballs, you know, but yeah. I'm like, they're not, he's not going to, you know, if, if he, if you're lobbing, well, I mean, it's, it's good to lob softballs and that it's going to bring more guests on because you're kind of doing more public relations than like real hard journalism. But I don't think like it's the goal of your podcast to like be a 60 minutes of gig gig economy. You know, yeah. like if you, if you bring somebody on and you just start ambushing them with like the really hard yeah. questions, like, you know, people say like, why don't you get Jeff Bezos on and like ask him about, <laughs> you know, workers yeah. peeing in bottles and stuff. It's like, they're, yeah. either they're going to walk the interview or, right. you know, it's just, I don't know. It's like, how do you how do you respond to that criticism? Because I I think it's just For a sure. matter of um, like yeah I'm happy to <laughs> happy to no I think I think it's interesting and I actually one of the reasons why I like doing those interviews is because I like getting that kind of feedback like I'm pretty tough guy I've been doing this for seven years I've been doing YouTube for six years let's put it that way and the commenters on YouTube are by far um, I'm not gonna say the worst but like they're definitely you get the craziest comments on YouTube yeah. across all platforms like no doubt it's so worse, easy. But- yeah, you're actually right. Reddit is worse, <laughs> right? Like I watch YouTube videos all the time. I leave comments on videos. So I, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those people. So I get it. Um, but I actually like hearing that feedback because I think with every interview I do, um, you know, there are things that I can do better. I think with like the Chris interview, for example, like, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask about was the, the hidden tips, right? Like he's never answered that question before. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone from DoorDash has ever answered that question before. And so, you know, we got into that and of course, you know, um, I'm sure some people are going to be upset that I didn't push enough there. But one thing that I think I didn't do that I should have asked more about is, you know, the sort of low value orders, you know, the $2, the $3 orders, right. And, you know, on DoorDash, obviously you see that on the accept screen. Um, And that's one thing where, you know, I think that actually, like, I actually feel like delivery drivers don't know how good they have it because with Uber and Lyft, you don't even see that information period, right? You don't know when you're going to get a minimum fare, a minimum order, (laughs) 
right? And so it's sort of like, it really all depends on your perspective, right? If you've been door dashing forever, you're like, man, this is bullshit that they're sending $3 orders. If you're doing Uber and Lyft, you're like, man, I would love to know when they're sending $3 yeah. orders. So I do think that uh, perspective is important. But I do I do think that feedback I got, um, you know, from people, uh, negative, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, talk talking crap, but whatever. I, I, I don't look at it as like talking crap. I think it's good to be like held accountable. So I, I think that's one area where I do think um, I should have pushed a little bit more and asked a little bit more about for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's hard. Cause like you, you, yeah, you can throw them the high heat, but then, you know, there's just, well, it's, it's the risk. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Right. So like what I would say is like my overall philosophy, like I said earlier, is like, if you're a driver, um, a worker, a career in the gig economy, and you want to do these jobs, I want to help you do them better. I want to help you make more money, get higher yeah. ratings, get better tips. And that doesn't mean that there aren't negatives to the job. We've got plenty of articles and videos that talk oh, about yeah, all the yeah. shitty parts about gig yeah. economy. Right. But my overall outlook is definitely positive, right? Like for me personally, um, you know, if I didn't enjoy driving for Uber, if I didn't enjoy dashing, I wouldn't do it, right? And that's sort of the philosophy that I'm not a fan of the people that are like, this is the worst freaking job in the world. I hate it. I never want to do it again, but they kind of go out there and do it every day. I'm not judging them, but just for me personally, that's not really the philosophy that I would live my life on. And so I don't make a judgment one way or the other. So you can imagine if I'm going to interview, you know, executives from the company, I'm definitely going to ask them about certain issues, but you know, you know, the negatives, but it's not going to be all like, Hey, why does this job suck? Why do you pay so low? Right. Because I, I want to get at like those opportunities. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, if it was me, I would probably still ask them those hard questions. Like once the camera stopped rolling and like off the record, just be like, Hey, what's mm-hmm. really going like if they're, if they're, <laughs> if they're, you know, um, I guess, well, like, but the the thing is, you know, it's and and that's why it's it's like kind of, I think it's a really fun challenge to like interview high level people in a public setting because like their answers, like you're also as an interviewer, you want the interview to be good. You want it to be interesting, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to ask a bunch of questions that they're just going to deflect, that they're just going to not answer. You know what I mean? So if, if I went and like, for example, like let's say I asked someone a bunch of, you know, like just came out and grilled them, right? And they're like, oh, you know what? I'm, dude, I'm the president of the company. Like, I don't know why we're doing, you know, like why this dasher on a random day was deactivated. Yeah. You know, I saw a couple of funny comments. Like, can you ask about, you know, like why this YouTuber was deactivated? I'm like, dude, the president, of the, unfortunately, the president of the company may not be the best person to ask this question, but you know, that's something you can ask after and they can have their team look into. And so kind of understanding, like, I think one of the best tips that I've sort of picked up from interviewing people is to like, really think about the answer that they're going to give to your question, sort of like how you're playing chess. So that if I ask them about hidden tips, what is he most likely going to respond so that I can like quickly follow up to that? Yeah. Cause I, I approach this, podcasting you know or just whatever you want to call it i don't know if it counts when if it's on youtube but i mean when you think podcasting mm-hmm. you think audio only but <laughs> now it's really audio and video because like audio and video yeah. i i put i mean that interview that i did with chris payne from doordash i mean we posted the audio on our podcast and then yeah. audio and video on our youtube channel did a snippet which obviously like that was what everyone kind of yeah, picked I, up on i think the yeah the uh the trailer or whatever you want to call it the snippet <laughs> i think that probably got more views than the entire full-length interview yeah well the, the, the full interview was 40 minutes so yeah. you know i i think uh and i think 
the the full interview we sort of I sort of broke it up like the first half I kind of spent on dashing and what it was like to be a dasher and the second half was more industry competition market share stuff like that which probably you know I think is like I'm interested in personally but I get that dasher most dashers probably aren't don't yeah. don't care <laughs> a I, I, crap I about all say, that I kind of approach this like like not sorry to be hacky but to just kind of emulate like Joe Rogan you know he just it's, mm-hmm. guys just shooting the shit and you know well yeah under, well with him it's usually well not usually but often with illicit drugs and it's like i'll have a <laughs> that's about it yeah um, but anyway so as we're uh, wrapping up here uh my last question would be you're coming up on a hundred thousand subscribers so like yeah a what does that feel like and b do you have any like a special anything special plan for when you hit a hundred thousand <laughs> subs are you gonna like you know eat a hot pepper or, you know, hmm. do skydiving or I don't know, something outrageous or just any, any special plans for a hundred thousand subs? Uh, no special plans. You know, it is funny. I feel like, you know, for a while there we were at like 40 to 80,000 subscribers and that took like few years to get from like 40 to 80 basically. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, now we're kind of closing in on a hundred. I'm looking at right now, we're almost at 95,000 subscribers. So now it's within reach. So maybe I should really start thinking about it right now. But, um, I do think YouTube actually sends you something that's like a little gold or silver play button or something like that when you get to a yeah. hundred. So that'll you be cool. Get the, you get a blue check when you hit a hundred thousand too. Ah, okay. You get that too. I don't know. You know, what? I don't know. Do you have any good ideas? What should, what should I do when we get to a hundred? Uh, yeah, I would, I, should... I would like to do something that like gives back to my audience. I was thinking it would be cool to like give away a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know if I make enough money to do that, <laughs> but you know, something like that where I like yeah. give a hundred dollars, maybe like give a hundred dollars to a hundred people or something like that I think might be cool. Um, what is what does that add up to? Is that a thousand or ten thousand? <laughs> I should check uh, the math. Ten thousand dollars. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> do something like completely out of the normal, like you know, eat, eat yeah. a ghost chili pepper live on camera or eat, like eat, go skydiving or you know, something <laughs> that you wouldn't normally do just to like celebrate yeah. or um something I thought about is that we like I mean you have the in fact I've I think you were just in Miami for a convention last week or yeah. something. I think we need like a gig tube convention or maybe not a yeah. convention, maybe like a meetup. I don't know if we can have enough material for an entire like weekend or something, but yeah, I, I see like, I watch like so many gig tubers from all over the country and it's, it's mostly an American thing as of right now. I'm sure there are, yeah. there's a few people in Canada and like you know, England, Australia, mostly English speaking countries. I know Uber is like in pretty much every country by now, but mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of other countries have their own equivalent of like DoorDash and and Instacart and things like that. But as far as like the YouTube and surprisingly the podcast, I was just looking up podcasts uh, as like related to gig economy news, and as far as I can mm-hmm. tell, there's only two, like yours mm-hmm. and one that's called the Gig Economy Podcast, which actually <laughs> have those guys on the show probably next week. Um, and there's a whole bunch in there that if you and go in Stitcher, iTunes, whatever, yeah, look up gig economy podcasts or you know, you know, uh, rideshare podcasts. And there's so many of them that you know, like they lasted like one episode, maybe five. Or yeah. there's people who like they put out like you know one episode every two months or something like that. I'm, yep. I'm really surprised. Like I think uh, Hannibal, I don't know if he's still watching, but I think he said this to me when we were doing our show last week. He's like. You would think there would be more because people are driving around their car listening to podcasts. <laughs> like it would be the, yeah. the perfect medium. 
So I don't it's, know. It's we, sort I of funny, a, like a national or global meetup or something yeah. like that. Well, when I first started my blog, actually, I started the blog and the podcast at the same time. So YouTube came like six months later, but that was my exact thinking. It's like, hey, I got a bunch of Uber and Lyft drivers always in the car, probably going to be listening to a podcast. And my podcast has actually been like our lowest performing medium over the years. Like we get a lot of like, I think like good listeners, like a lot of like a lot of industry media, those types of startup type people, but it's less like drivers on the podcast. And so I sort of focus like the audio side of my podcast more towards like that industry mm-hmm. audience. Um, so like, I don't think we've ever gotten more than like 15 to 20,000 total downloads a month. So like in a single month, like all of our episodes, you know, downloaded more than that, which is still a lot for a podcast, but it's nowhere near, you know, like yeah. Joe Rogan numbers, you get like a million downloads oh, per episode. Yeah episode probably tens of millions per month i was gonna say it's about 15 to twenty thousand more than what i'm getting so (laughs) Uh, yeah well that's why i think in the in the rideshare space you know it's it's definitely probably up there but i mean you know like youtube for example like i see a bunch of these youtube out youtubers out there i mean we probably do anywhere from like 500 to seven hundred fifty thousand views a month on youtube mm -hmm. the blog has gone up and down over the years like our highest month ever we probably got a million page views to the a month to the blog and now we're probably more in like the three hundred thousand page views a month so you know just it's funny right because you have like blog youtube and then podcasts if you look at like pure like total number of uh, downloads but the podcasts are cool because it's like a much deeper connection you've got someone in your ear for 20 30 40 50 minutes cool all right well i know you gotta get going so i'll let you go What's the what's the best place for people to find you? Rideshare the rideshareguy.com? Yeah, and I think if you uh, type the rideshare guy into YouTube or pretty much any box on the internet, I should yeah. pop up. We're releasing tons of videos over on YouTube and uh, you know, since we're talking podcasts, I will give a shout out to my podcast. We're in Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you listen and like I said, it's a little bit more of a industry approach. You know, we kind of interview people, researchers, all about gig economy and Uber and Lyft, but mm-hmm. kind of a, a mix of worker and uh, industry perspective over there. So if that's something you're interested in, check that out. Otherwise, we got plenty of uh, YouTube content folks for the gig workers. Yep. I, I agree. If you're, It doesn't matter if you're doing rideshare or just general gig work like DoorDash, Instacart, whatever. It's There's something on the rideshare guy for you. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks a lot, Appreciate Harry, it. for doing this interview. It was a lot of fun. Maybe we can do it again in a few months. And yeah, if you're wanting definitely. on your show, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> so. Definitely. We'll chat, Chad. All right. I will uh, see you later. Thanks for watching, everybody. And, all right. Uh, all right. I need I need a, I need like a, a sign off message or something. I don't know. Other than just bye. I've got a, I've got a few on my podcast. I say like a few different sign offs. All right, let's hit the road. And yeah. then I also say something like that. But yeah, you come up with like nice cheesy uh, sign off is always for, good. For me, it's it's like okay, now it's beer o'clock. So <laughs> there you go. I could go for a beer. All right, All right. beer time. I'll see you later. Bye. Take care, Chad.